the basis, which was? And we have the condition, which is? The teacher, spiritual mentor. And then we have the means. And these are the instructions. So what is it that keeps us from becoming Buddhas? You understand when I use the word Buddha, I'm not referring to a religion or a particular dogma, right? I'm referring to the fully awakened state. So this is really important for you to recognize. It's, we're not, it's not a sectarian view in the sense that, you know, not Hindu. Right? In fact, Buddhism basically is, Buddhism's mother is, is uh, uh, Brahmanism, which is the root for Hinduism. So we're not talking particularly about a religion. We're just you can call it God, I suppose. Except, except God is usually seen as an object in some way by most people. So it's uh, not an object. It's uh, basically an understanding of the nature of emptiness, right? And nature of uh, lack of inherent uh, objective reality. And we phrase it in those terms because you are an objective reality. And so the only way we can refer to it is by lack of an objective reality, since your hang-up is the idea that there is an objective reality as such a fixed position. And so it sounds like a negative to most people. I mean, to, to non-Buddhists, uh, Buddhism sounds like a negative because it says it's a not, like nirvana is extinction. But it's not extinction in the sense of like, no apples, right? It's an extinction in the sense that even when the apples are in the bowl, they are by definition empty. Mm-hmm. There is uh, the appearance of object to reality. The magical play of Maya's net, the great illusion, doesn't make it a substantial thing any more than a rainbow or a chimera or a dream. Mm-hmm. They melt away. They pass, and in that sense, they can't be objectively real, because if it was objectively real, it would not change. And insofar as everything changes, you can't really say there's an objective reality, because it's never fixed long enough to find it. And uh, this is kind of where you get to with uh, quantum physics, that uh, in fact, not only is there not an objective reality, that even the particles that make up an objective reality can be experimentally proven to show you that a particle is in two places at the same time. Now, this is pretty weird when two subatomic particles can be in the same place at the same time, because of course that contradicts the law of Newtonian physics and Einsteinian physics. Einstein didn't like it. Even the guy who invented or discovered quantum physics, Niels Bohr, didn't like it. I don't like this idea, is what he said. I'm not happy with it. Now, how can you be? Because the I, in some nebulous form or other, thinks of itself as a objective reality. And in spite of our understandings of it, and in spite of our uh, philosophical willingness to accept it, nevertheless, we don't like it. And um, the reason we don't like it is because the we <laughs> is the deluding position. You with me? So, that which prevents you from becoming a Buddha is uh, the harmful mistakes of falling under the sway 
of the four hindrances. In other words, you subsume under the four hindrances, and because of that, you come to believe in an inherent self, or you come to believe that there's an objective reality to be found, and you're suffering. You know, suffering, you think, okay, like cancer or an accident, but but the, the suffering can be redefined as struggle, or just a kind of a discontent, or a sense of uh, lack of security. And no matter how much money you have in the bank, it's never enough, if that's your issue. No matter how much your partner tells you they love you, it's never enough, because there's an inherent insecurity in these ideas. There's an inherent lack of security in money. There's an inherent lack of security in relationship. There's an inherent lack of security in your career. It dissolves. All the great paintings of the world won't last. Maybe take a long time. They're gone. Right? All artists are gone. All musicians are gone. All music is gone. Right? Eventually it all goes. Before Greek music, there was music. It's all gone. New music. We're not saying it's gone in the sense that something else doesn't happen. But something else happening means it's not here now. If it's not here now, where was it before it was here? And therefore, what is here now also goes. And if what's here goes now, where did it go to? If it exists inherently, it can't come and it can't go. And if it can come and go, it can't exist inherently. And if it can't exist inherently, what does it mean to talk about it as an it now? It's logical inconsistency. You can't call something an it if it isn't really there, like a rainbow. If you drive through the middle of a rainbow, it disappears. In fact, you can't drive through the middle of a rainbow because the ability to see the rainbow means you have to be at a distance from it. Now, be very clear about this. You are you because you are at a distance from your rainbow. And the distant thing that you're distant from is your mother. And that's how the ego develops. It starts to see itself as distant from the mother. Rather than being the rainbow, it becomes a seer of rainbows. And as the ego develops, you become more and more distant from the emptiness of your nature. So the whole nature of the ego's attachment separates you from God. Which is why it says in the Bible, no man, woman can look on the face of God and live. It doesn't mean you drop dead. right? It just means that if you're looking directly on the face of God, you're not there. Nor, in fact, then can God be there, because who's going to be calling it God, after all? So, the four impediments that prevent the attainment of Buddhahood are the attachment to the experiences of this life. That also means your aversion to certain experiences of this life. It's not just attachment to what you like, it's also aversion to what you don't like. And it's also confusion about what you should like or not like. Attachments to the experiences of this life. So if you want to be clear about this, they tell soldiers and warriors and samurai in Buddhists that fundamentally you're already dead. Otherwise you can't function in your role. You can't function as a samurai if you think you're still alive. You can't function as a soldier if you think you're still alive. They tell you from the beginning, you are dead. If you survive, you're lucky. We tell you that as a Buddhist. 
If you want to see Buddha nature, if you want to experience Buddha nature, you should see yourself as dead. Now, dead here does not mean that you don't experience, because after death, experience continues. I know it's a little hard to fathom. You will continue experience after death. You just won't do it with that body that you're so attached to. Experience will continue. However, experience by nature is a group of skandhas. And your attachment to this particular, this particular skanda, your form, will continue in bardo in the same way that you have some kind of form in dream, don't you? It's not a physical form, but it's some kind of form. The cohesive nature of that experience in dream is a mental body, is it not? You have no awareness of your physical body as a rule in dream, but there is a feeling of kind of a mental body, isn't there? Somebody's dreaming. Somebody's experiencing something, right? Now that somebody doesn't inherently exist, does it? It's a way of speaking. We wake up in the morning and we say, I had a dream. But while you're dreaming, you don't think, I am having a dream, because the eye's not there. Nevertheless, there is experience. So too, in this life, the fact that you identify certain experiences as belonging to a particular body and certain other experiences as not belonging to your body is an illusion, and it is the source and the cause of your suffering. But your stubborn refusal to see the truth in order to be attached or averted to your particular set of preferences. So, attachment to the experiences of this life. If you see yourself as already dead, if you see this as a dream, if you see this as a movie, then you're halfway to Buddhahood. Because it's not your body, it's not your feelings, it's not your perceptions, it's not your consciousness, and it's not your factors of consciousness any more than bamboo belongs to this piece of bamboo and not that piece of bamboo. We are not, of course, denying or negating experience. Experience is forever. The thing that separates samsara from nirvana is not that nirvana has no experience, but that there is no owner of experience, there is no God of experience, there is no angel of experience, there's merely or purely experience, and then it's called pure perception. The second impediment to the attainment of full realization is the attachment to worldly well-being. In other words, comfort. Your attachment to being comfortable, your aversion to being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable and comfortable is a state of mind. It doesn't exist inherently in the object. Cold or hot are not inherently uncomfortable. They are just intense experiences. You are attached, curiously enough, all you sensualists included, all you feeling types are included, you're actually attached to neutrality. In other words, you're attached to nothing happening. But nothing happening would mean that you weren't there. Therefore, you make something happen, just pleasurable enough to experience it. Just pleasurable enough to call it yours. Not so pleasurable that it wipes you out, 
and not so unpleasurable that it wipes you out. And the nature of intensity is that it wipes you out. Superior pleasure is the end of you, and superior pain is the end of you. Have you ever been in ecstatic absorption or intense pain? And you're not really there, are you? The, the experience is so overwhelming that you don't even know you're there, you know? How do you feel? Well, if someone asks me, it hurts. But go away, because it hurts too much. Really, it's almost like dream, isn't it? It's almost like you're not there. But you want to be back, right? You want to be healthy. And for you, healthy means normality. And normality means basically boring. And therefore, you go between boring, which is what you do most of the time, to little fits of semi-intensity, and semi-fits of uh, negative intensity, and you go from to and to trying to stay as close as you can to the middle of Switched off potential fundamentally wants to stay within the comfortable range. Switched on potential means fundamentally that you recognize that the nature of experience is purely and simply experience. Jesus said it, Be ye either hot or cold, or I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Well, you know, it's a desert religion. You've got to have some compassion for the desert religions, because they really are fierce, you know. It's a desert. You die in the desert. It's been. It's like having a religion out of the North Pole. There's not a lot of room for left and right. You're either on or you're dead. So Christianity and Judaism and Islam are all like kind of fierce religions because they all come out of like this desert plain. Hinduism and Buddhism come out of like this fertile, fecund much more forgiving, you know. If you forget your umbrella, you can always sit under a tree. If you if you forgot your food, there's always a fruit hanging around. It doesn't get too, too cold, and it doesn't get too, too hot. You, know, you can move from the plains when it's hot, and you can move from the mountains when it's cold. You don't need many clothes. You can live under a tree. You can go naked, pretty much, as the sadhus of India do. Try going naked in the desert or try going naked at the North Pole. So you can forgive Christianity, Buddhism, and Islam for being a little obsessive in their views. <clears throat> worldly being, attachment to worldly. We're not talking about being well. We're talking about being attached to your interpretation of what that means. Because everything that you define as feeling well is according to your definition. For some people, meditating is boring. For other people, meditation ecstatic. For some people, being busy is too much. For other people, being busy is too little. So on. And then attachment to, this is the third one, attachment to the well-being of peace, which is basically what I've just said. And lastly, the ignorance by means of which Buddhahood is achieved. This is why you're not a Buddha. You don't know how to do it. Well, the funny thing is, is you do know how to do it. You just choose to think you don't know how to do it. So what are the four? Attachment to the experiences of this life, attachment to worldly well-being, attachment to the well-being of peace and normalcy, and the ignorance of the means by which Buddhahood is achieved. 
When we say ignorance of the means by which Buddha is achieved, it's really more kind of a refusal to apply it. Because I've been yakking, and other teachers have been yakking at you for years, and you choose to ignore it. And I guess the fundamental reason you ignore it is you don't really see the nature of the perpetual suffering of samsara by being attached to what you like, have aversion to what you don't like, and so on. Why is that? So, yeah, that's true. It's familiar. So is a prison. Yeah, but why? Why is the world distracting? Why do you have preferences? Why do you have conditioning? Why do you believe you're conditioned? Why do you maintain the bad habit? doesn't appear to hurt enough. That's a very good point. The difference between a Buddha and a switched-off potential is for the switched-off potential, it doesn't hurt. And in, in a sense, they're insensitive. My mother used to tell me I was too sensitive. Oh, Doug, don't be so sensitive. It hurt too much to be... So how do you have it hurt less? By becoming insensitive. You switch off. By switching on, it begins to hurt too much. Therefore, what seems to be the way out of the problem? Switching off. And 99.9% of the population is switched off throughout their entire lives. In spite of their divorces and their love affairs and their families and the births and the deaths, for those that wake up, so wakes up the pain. (laughs) The pain of ignorance. But that's not really the reason I'm after. Why? Why do you not awaken? You don't decide to. Why do you not decide to? You don't trust the awakening. That's one reason. Hmm? Lazy, all of that's true. Why? You don't really want to. Why don't you want to? Because you think it's resolvable. You think you're going to get what you want. You think you're going to get the, if you get the job, if you get the money, if you get the house, if you get the marriage, if you get the career, you're going to make it. It's going to work. It's going to do it. It won't. You don't believe me. I know you don't believe me. Because if you did, you'd be awakened. No matter how much we rant and rave at you. Rant, rave, rant, rave. Entertaining. Oh, he's ranting and raving again. That's cool. Fun. Or, oh, it's scary. You don't believe it. You really do think in there somewhere you're going to get exactly what it is you're looking for, exactly what it is you want. You really think you're going to get it, but you actually have no idea what it is. Do you? You don't really know what it is you want. I want a husband. Kind of, until you get one. And you're, you're you're 16, you want Romeo, Juliet. 19, you want someone who can think. 25, you want somebody who makes money. 30, you want somebody friendly. 40, you want somebody who's not so irritating. 50, you want somebody who leaves you alone. 60, you want somebody who can take care of you. 70, anyway. You really do think that chasing your habitual patterns, chasing your aspirations, chasing your vague 
sense of satisfaction is attainable somehow, somewhere, in some kind of object. Whether it's your house, or your relationship, you know, physical sensing beings are going to chase it in terms of the sense function, food, houses, touch, smells. Feeling people are going to chase it in terms of love and affection and warmth and friendliness and caring. Mental people are going to chase it in terms of concepts and ideas, theories and dogma. Keep chasing it, don't you? I mean, we can point at it. I mean, just pick anybody in the room. Define whether they're fundamentally, a, you know, basically a sensing type, a feeling type, a thinking type, or an intuitive type. The intuitive types are going to chase it in terms of some sort of nebulous understanding that they're going to come to. It's going to be like a big light goes off in their head. Boom! I got it. Hmm? For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you.